0: Um, As we go to God's Word this morning, I'm going to call Chris up, and he's going to read our passage. uh, And he and I are going to bring the Word to you this morning. Go ahead and meet me in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at
1: verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Scroll through your iPad or your iPhone and find it. The first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the words of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God... And glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake... Becoming, his, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Those are the very words of God. Amen?
0: Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we pray this morning that Your Spirit would descend upon this place and upon these hearts and upon my heart. We pray, Lord Jesus, that You would be present among us, that You would minister to us because You are the rabbi. You are the teacher. I cannot teach in a way that changes any man's heart. I have enough trouble with my own. And so we pray, O God, that You would come and that You would bring light where there is darkness. You would bring understanding where there is ignorance. You would bring life where there is deadness. And You would bring hope where there's hopelessness. Oh God, I pray this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be heard. I pray that there would be a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction of life. Oh Father, we thank You that there is something to preach, that there is someone to preach, and His name is Jesus. So God, would You come and would You work among us by the power of Your Spirit, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, my wife, Rachel, went to the optometrist. Uh, she, for the last couple of years, have been using those cheap drugstore readers. Uh, how many people here are using those uh, cheap drugstore readers? We've got a lot of people out here. Well, this is very pertinent to you. Uh, they had been working pretty good, and, and, you know, she thought things were okay, but there were times when she just couldn't see, uh, or at least she felt like she couldn't see like she should be seen. And so she goes to the optometrist, and he does his thing, and he prescribes contact lenses for her. He he tells her that, that she needs to order glasses with the same prescription, and so she, she got fitted for those contacts lenses, contact lenses she she ordered those glasses and then before she left she put those contact lenses in And she could not believe it. She called me from the the office, barely getting out the door. She said, honey, you're not going to believe it. I can see. I can see shapes. I can see colors. I can see the cars around me. Now, she was driving when she called me. And I thought, oh, Lord, thank you for protecting her and everybody else around her for the last few weeks, months, years, who knows how long. (laughs) And then she said this. She said, Oh, by the way, it cost $700, (laughs) but I can see. You see, she counted $700 as loss for the surpassing greatness of being able to see. Paul is telling us in this passage, he, he is not giving us the history of the resurrection. He's not trying to prove to us that, that the resurrection is literal. He is simply saying, because I believe that it is literal, because I have had an experience with the living Christ... I have had a paradigm shift. And he goes back, and in the first few verses, he says, now look, before this paradigm shift, my my focus was directly uh, locked into the fact of my clean bloodline. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin. It didn't get any more blue blood than that. And not only was I a blue blood Hebrew of Hebrews, but I was also willing to outperform anybody in the church at the time. I was a Pharisee, and he said in other places he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. And and aren't those the things that we value in our culture today? Oh, if we come from if we hail from a mighty and powerful family, we are somebody. And if we hail from a powerful and mighty family, we're also able to work. And we're able to work anybody else around us, then we are definitely somebody. But then he says this he said, As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. And we say, Well, how does that apply to us today? I'll tell you how it applies to us today. Because those who are intellectual elitists, if you will, and that's what Paul is saying he was. An intellectual elitist must stay where he is, feeling good about himself based on his bloodline and his ability to outwork and outperform anybody else by making other people around them feel small. And that's exactly how Paul lived before something happened to him. And I want you to understand that what Paul is saying is is that something happened to me. And the something that happened to me was I met not just a philosopher, not just a history teacher, not just a positive thinking speaker, but I met the living Christ Jesus. It was the resurrection of Christ that absolutely was a game changer for Paul. His whole life turned from trusting in power, in beauty, in money, in intellect, in reputation, to saying, I count all these things as lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Something happened to Paul. Now, I want to tell you here today, if you are here and you say you know Christ, has your life made that real shift? You may be here today and you say, I believe in the resurrection, but is it the very thing through which you look at all of life? Has it become your contact lenses through which you look at suffering or success? Failure or success? Is it really driving you to get out of bed in the morning and live differently throughout the day? Or are you here and you say, I don't believe this stuff? Well, I want you to hear me that I'm not here to necessarily try to convince you by going through all the evidence of the Bible. There's no way that we could do that this morning. But what I do want you to hear is this, is that you need to understand what you're rejecting if you're rejecting the literal historical resurrection of Jesus. So, if you're here and you don't believe in the resurrection, what you need to understand is that in order to properly reject Christianity, that sounds bizarre, doesn't it? But in order to properly reject Christianity, you must, hear me, you must understand the uniqueness of Christianity, what Christianity is saying. And what Paul is saying is, I'm willing to count everything lost because I want to know Christ. And it's not just Christ, but I want to know the power of His resurrection. And I want to somehow one day obtain to the resurrection myself. He believed in the literal, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you go to Mark chapter 10, and you look at that passage, you see that that Jesus, uh, before He goes into Holy Week, tells His people, look, look, disciples, I want you to understand something. Something is, is going to happen to me, and what's going to happen to me, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. Jesus told His disciples that He would be raised again. And then, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, just to take two passages... And you look at what Paul is arguing for there. He says, look, this is what happened. Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected, and there were 500 people that saw Him. Now, if that were not true, I want you to understand that Christianity should have stopped right there. Because it would have been the easiest claim to have rebutted. Well, look, that was 20 years after Christ's resurrection. And what he's saying is, uh, here it is. There are people still living that witnessed the resurrection, so if you don't believe me, go talk to them. So whether you believe it or not is not the issue right now at this point in the sermon. What I want to challenge you with is that you can't deny that they believed it. You can't deny that Paul believed it when he was writing. He believed in a literal, historical resurrection, and it was a game changer for him. You see, he was willing to count everything lost. He was willing to say, I'm willing to bet my eternity and my present life what I'm motivated by through this and by this, the very resurrection of Christ. Hold on one second. (laughs) My iPad is down. My iPad is down, so we're going to go by the notes you have. Here we go. Note to self, never leave an iPad in the sun too long. But here we go. Point number one. How has a literal resurrection made Christianity unique? Here's the first point. Jesus is not dead. He's alive and He can be known. Jesus is not dead. He is alive and He can be known if Christ was raised from the dead. Now, what I'm telling you right now is that that is how... Christianity is unique from any other religion. It is a a present reality that Jesus is alive and available to me. No other religion claims that. No one is saying I want to I want to know Muhammad. Why? Because Muhammad died and he stayed dead. Nobody says I want to know Buddha why? Because Buddha I mean Do you understand it? No other religion says it. We say we want to know Christ and the surpassing greatness of of His resurrection. We want to know Christ. If you look at Martin Luther King and in the early days of the Civil Rights Movement, you see that there came a time at about uh, the time of the... um, the Montgomery bus protest, uh, when Rosa Parks said, Enough is enough. And Martin Luther King, in that protest, was losing strength. Uh, the, 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 all the pressure that had been on him was really getting to him, and, and he had a hard time moving forward. And he said that one night, sitting at his kitchen table, God showed up. When he didn't think he had any more strength, God showed up. And I want you to hear what he says. He, he used this in a sermon that he preached. He said, At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced before. It seemed as though I could, I, I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for righteousness, Martin Luther King. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears passed for me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same. Do you hear me? Martin Luther King, Jr. said, nothing changed around me. My life was still in jeopardy. It was still hard. None of my circumstances changed. But here's here's the deal, and here's the game changer. But God had given me inner, calm by His presence. Dear friends, we look at these civil rights leaders that are on the signs around us, and if you took a tour in the museum behind me, you would see the same thing. We look at these men and women and we say they were bigger than life, but what you need to understand is that these were normal people like you and me who had a, an abnormal and yet excellent faith beyond this life. If you look at Rosa Parks, you see a, a Christian faith Why would this woman jeopardize her job? Why would this woman jeopardize her life when she was told to get out of her seat and move back to the back of the bus? Why did she say no? Because she was just some bitter person? Because she just wanted to make a point and she was telling the world that they could just go jump off a bridge? No! Because she knew that she was a woman made in the image of God, that she bore the mark of the divine Creator. And He had sent His Son to die for her sins, but more than that, to be raised for her life. And she understood that whatever she faced in that moment would not be the end, but Christ and eternity was her end. Just this past week, Chris Davis and myself and some others attended a conference at the Civil Rights Museum. John Perkins, a true civil rights leader, was was the speaker. He's in his 80s. And he he spoke about his upbringing and the time when uh, his mother died. Uh, they They were sharecroppers on a farm in the Delta of Mississippi and his mother starved to death when he was seven weeks old. He told about the time that his brother was shot and killed by a white policeman simply because he was black and in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then he talked about a time in 1970 when he was uh, arrested in Brandon, Mississippi and taken to a Brandon cell and tortured. He used those words. He said he was beat to, to an inch of his life. And as the jailer left, and uh, as he heard them snickering as they, as they walked off, and as he was mopping up his blood, he said, God came to me. And he said... You have a choice to make. You can live from this point forward as a bitter and angry man, hating white people. Or you can receive my grace for you and my love for you and stand for reconciliation among the races, reconciling men and women to God and men and women to each other. And it was that defining moment when he said, Lord, he says, that was the time when I was broken And I said, yes, Lord Jesus, I will follow You. He was not just some social activist. He was a believer in Jesus Christ who had a living encounter with the living Christ, and that gave him power to live differently and to count everything else as loss but the surpassing greatness of living for and living in Christ Jesus. And so the question before us today is simple. Have we had that encounter? Is Jesus alive to you? Do you understand what these two men and this one woman were talking about when they talk about having a divine encounter with God? If not, dear friends, you've yet to really experience what is the very central tenet of the Christian faith, and that is the message of today. God is not dead. He is alive, and His name is Jesus. Do you have that faith today? Dear friends, if you do, then you have a present power. And Chris is going to come and he's going to talk about that power now.
1: So secondly, we want you to see that that Jesus is a present power. Paul in verse 10, he not only says he wants you to know Christ, he also wants you to know the power... Of his resurrection. See, Paul understands that there is no hope in the gospel without the resurrection. Paul says, I long for the ability, I long for strength. Paul says, I long for the might of the resurrection in my own life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 17, Christ has not yet been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He continues in verse 19 by saying, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pitied. Paul is saying, I want to experience the resurrection power that has the ability to pull me straight out of my sin. Because if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, I'm in trouble, and Paul knows this. I don't have a chance, he says. But since Jesus has been raised to the dead, I want to know that kind of resurrection power that can conquer sin and that can conquer death. The resurrection is its not something that you and I can remain neutral about. It's something that we have to land on one side or the other, whether we believe it or not. Either Jesus is alive to you or Jesus is still dead. And it's something that we have to make a choice about on where we stand. See, only Jesus has come back and not died again. You can think about Scripture and you think, oh, wait a minute. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter was raised from the dead, or 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 Lazarus was raised from the dead. You tell me where Lazarus is now. Where is Jairus' 12-year-old daughter? They both have died again. Jesus is the only one that has been raised from the dead and is still living today. He is alive. That's what makes him different. And see, see, He's different than the God of the Baha'i faith. He, he's different than Muhammad. He, he's different than Confucius because Jesus is still living. Those of the, the Islamic faith could not make that same claim. Those of the Baha'i faith could not make that same claim that their God is still living and alive and well and conquering sin and death. That's the claim that Paul is making this morning. See, Paul longs for the hope that the resurrection offers. The resurrection points to a dead Jesus being raised from the dead with new life, defeating sin and death all by himself. Needed no help. To do that. And the resurrection points to the hope for those that put that their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection shows us that this life is not all that is left. The resurrection gives those that have said yes to Jesus. It gives us a glimpse of what they can look forward to. That there is a place that will come, that we will be able to He will wipe away every tear from our eye. There would be no hunger, there would be no thirst, there would be no death. We have something to look forward to. And let me tell you this morning, you and I would not be able to look forward to anything if Jesus had not raised from the dead. Amen. Because He lives, we have hope. Yes. Because He lives, those hurts and all of that brokenness that we deal with even this morning, those weights that some of us are carrying even this morning, because He lives, we can even look past those things. Because He lives. Because He is alive. Because He is not dead, but He is alive. Jesus' resurrection shows us that there is more to life than what we see now. And when Paul says he wants to know the power of his resurrection, the word there used for power is the same word used for power in Romans 1.16. You remember what it says. Romans 1.16 says, The gospel is the power of God to save means the gospel is the very ability of God to save. What is the gospel? The gospel is the reality that you are more sinful than you could ever begin to dream. And that Jesus did for you. He loved you more than you could ever begin to know. He did for you what you could never do for yourself. He came and stood in your and my place for our sin. He lived a perfect life. He died a gruesome death. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And he rose again on the third day. And, and what he says there in scripture, what, what Paul says, he says that's the power of God to save. That's the ability of God to save. Paul is saying I want the the full experience of salvation. He knows that the power of Jesus' resurrection is working itself out in him by way of sanctification. He is because the resurrection is becoming the resurrection is helping Paul to become more like Jesus. He's growing in holiness. He's learning to live in victory over sin. Why? Because of the resurrection. Paul had, has had enough of finding his own hope in simple things. He's trying to keep all of the rules as a Pharisee, right? He, he came from one of the best of the families. He, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And at the end of the day, Paul says, Jesus is what I want. Paul says, I know what I, where I came from. I know the things that I know because I'm a Pharisee and I've memorized the first five books of the Bible. I've studied the Mosaic Law and the Torah over and over again. But even after all of the things that I know and all of the things that I've experienced, it's Jesus that I want. Paul says it's him. It's him that I long for. It's him that I need. He says, "Jesus, you are the power that I need." It's 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 like this idea of you know when you're 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 in that deep sleep, right? Drool coming out of the side of your mouth. Um, that deep, you know, wife or husband uh, bumping you on the side. That deep snoring kind of sleep. You're in that deep sleep and all of a sudden the urge hits you, nature calls, and you have to go to the restroom. It's dark in the room late at night and you get up, you have no shoes on, and all of a sudden you find yourself stumbling all over the place because you can't really see. You're hitting your feet on the bedpost. Anybody ever been there? Come on, somebody. You're hitting your knees on things. Uh, you're bumping into things in the bathroom, and it hits you. Oh, it dawns on you that you have electricity. <laughs> There's something called electricity, and you hit that light switch, and the light comes on, and it illuminates the room, and all of a sudden, you can see You realized that you needed something outside of you to help you to navigate through the darkness. And what Paul is saying here this morning is that you and I need something outside of us to navigate the darkness called sin. We need something that is deeper than us. We need something that is much bigger than us. We need Jesus. And Paul is putting that before us. He's saying, I long to know him, but I also long to know the power of his resurrection. Paul is saying I need something bigger than me. And he is connecting the power of the resurrection to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you know like I know, there is no gospel without the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says, the power that I really need is a resurrection kind of power. I need the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And in my imagination, I got to believe that Paul is longing for the work of the Spirit as well. Because he knows that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Holy Spirit, abides on the inside of him. He writes in Romans chapter 8. And he longs for the move of the Spirit. He longs for the power of Jesus to be at work in his life. So Paul says, come, Lord, I long for you. I, I long for your working in my heart and in my life. Because I believe that you really did come. That you really did live a perfect life. You came in the form of a man. And I believe that you died as an innocent man. A gruesome death. You were shamed. You were spit on. You were looked down upon. And God, you are you, you obedient to, to your Father, Jesus. They put you in a borrowed tomb. And You rose again from the dead. And I believe that. And I trust You. I need that kind of power,
0: Paul says. If you're uh, here today and you're visiting and uh, you have not uh, been in church a while or maybe uh, you've never heard anybody actually believe... (laughs) that Jesus was literally historically raised, you're probably at this point of thinking, man, these people are crazy. Well, I'm going to bring it home. And I want to show the superior application of the realities of the resurrection. You see, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, you have a neat perspective on suffering. And Jesus said, all of us are going to suffer. I mean, the preachers today that are out there saying, if you believe Jesus and you're suffering, then you must not have enough faith. No. Jesus said, in this life, you will have many troubles. So the reality of suffering has nothing to do with the level of your faith, but the brokenness of this world. If you're here today and your whole life has been suffered, suffering, I want you to know that that is not an indication that God doesn't love you. And if you're here today and you've not suffered, I want you to know it's not because you're so great and good. <laughs> because they're suffering for everybody outside of Christ eternally. But well, let me get back to the point. Paul shows us the amazing application and the beauty and the power of the gospel of the resurrected Christ when he, when he talked about the reality that he wanted to know the fellowship of the suffering of Christ and somehow to even understand his death. He wanted to participate in how Christ died. What in the world is he talking about? Well, let me, let me get, bring it to your front door by telling you this. Uh, Dan is a, a good friend of mine now, and he was in my, my youth group when he was in the seventh grade. It was my first youth group. And Dan today is an orthopedic hand surgeon. And I texted him this week because it came to mind. I said, Dan, how old were you when you finally got through with all the schooling, you got your certification, you got the final clearance to actually be a hand surgeon? He said, I was 32 years old. When this boy was in the seventh grade, he looked at me and he said, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon one day. And I just kind of laughed because I knew the road that it took to become an orthopedic surgeon. But he did it. And the way he did it was he counted as loss his comfort and his free time. And at some point, now, he may not sacrifice girls too much. Uh, if you knew Dan, you would you'd really appreciate that. But he counted as loss a lot of things because he knew that he didn't have to just make good grades. He had to make superior grades. And he knew he had to go to college and he knew he had to take the right hard courses and excel and he knew he had to go to med school and be recognized and he knew he had to have the resume at the end of the day to be able uh, to go do an orthopedic um, uh, residency and then a, a specialized hand residency. It took him to the age of 32 because he was willing to count a lot of loves and a lot of things as loss for the surpassing greatness of becoming a hand surgeon. Now, I want you to know today that everybody right here on this lawn has counted and is counting something that's lost to get what they want. You, If you're a young person here and you say, I don't have time for school, you're counting as lost school for the surpassing greatness of your own comfort. And we can pretty much tell you where that's going to lead you. <laughs> Amen. 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 If you're here today and you're married, at some point you said, I am willing to count as lost my singleness and my freedom to marry this person. Amen? Amen. We counted something as lost. If you're a professional here today, whatever it is, if you're a fireman next door, whatever it is, you've counted one way, a lot of things that would take you in one direction as lost because you said, this is what I want. And what Paul is saying is this, I made a conscious choice to count as loss my education, my intellect, my bloodline, the respect of my family, everything, because there is something better, and His name is Jesus. Now, I want you to hear me. You can live a life on this earth and be successful. You can live a life on this earth and get pleasure. If you make pleasure your God, you're probably going to get some pleasure. If you make wealth and power your God, you're probably going to experience some wealth and power. I read a story this week about Barack Obama's deep deputy chief of staff. She is 38 years old, and she's the woman and the person who has tremendous power. She's the one that decides... Who gets a face-to-face meeting or a phone call meeting with Barack Obama? And at 38, she is retiring. She's quitting this job. And Charlie Rose interviewed her this week. And he asked her this question. It was a brilliant question. He said, do you feel as if the most exciting days of your life are now behind you? Now again, 38 years old. And you know what she said? They very well might be. But that's okay. And then, she said this. She said, I've met the Queen. I was at Nelson Mandela's funeral. I've met the Pope. I've met practically every world leader there is to meet. What else is left? Now, that struck me. Because it shows two things. It shows somebody who says, look... You can reach high heights if you pursue them. You can you can experience success. You can experience great things. You can have great encounters with great people. But at the end of the day, you've got to look behind you and say the most exciting times are gone. But with Christ, it's different. With Christ, it doesn't matter if you are the king of the world. If there were such a position, It doesn't matter if you're the president. It doesn't matter if you're the president of a bank. It doesn't matter how high you ascend. Nor does it matter, hear me, how low you have to live. But the better days are always forward with Jesus Christ. And that is a hope that no other religion can claim. We can know that we will live Dear friends, we got a call this morning at 7 a.m. that my wife's uncle, her mother's brother, had a massive heart attack. She rushed to the hospital. I obviously couldn't go. She called me at about 8 o'clock. She said, he's gone. He didn't make it. Now, why are we still here? Why are we still going through this day? Because death doesn't define us. Because there's hope beyond this life. Because Christ Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, has come into our world, lived under the law for us, fulfilling it completely, then going to the cross and becoming our sin for us. And then the third day, being raised from the dead, so that now, I mean, His resurrection was God the Father saying, yes, Jesus has conquered death. The salvation that I have wrought through Him is real, and it's available to anyone and everybody that lives this point forward. The only question is, will you count everything that you're looking to for life right now as loss, for the surpassing greatness of having Christ Jesus, who will carry you no matter what you accomplish or don't accomplish in this life, on to eternity where you can experience glory? If you accept Christ, you can face suffering. It redeems everything. Nothing is meaningless because one day, someday, you're going to cross the Jordan and you're going to go into the promised land. Is that your practical, ongoing hope as you get older, as family members die? Is that your hope? Because that's the hope of the resurrection and no other religion and no other philosophy can offer you that. Dear friend, it's our greatest prayer that you would believe it today. <laughs> and if you want to believe that today, we're going to provide leaders up here that will talk with you, that will pray with you. And I want you to understand that, that I never did that. And I still became a Christian because I stayed right where I was and I said, Jesus, yes to you. I'm not saying you've got to come up here in order to be a Christian. I'm just saying we've got some seasoned Christians that are going to be up here, and if you want to talk through it, you can do that. If you want to stay right where you are and say, Jesus, for the first time in my life, you've been real to me. Accept Him right where you are. And then be part of this church family. Tell somebody here what's happening to you, and help us. let us walk with you, and we'll walk together in this mystery and yet this great love called the Christian life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for the glory and the hope that the resurrection brings. Lord Jesus, You said that though we die, we will live. And if we die believing in You, we really won't even die. It will just be a transfer to one, from one place where we knew Jesus to another place where we know Him a whole lot better unto glory even perfectly. So Lord Jesus, I pray that that would be the hope of those in this place today. God, I pray that Your Spirit would convince us. And God, for those that believe but are struggling, help us in our unbelief, O God. Help us in our unbelief. May we give our lives to You. May You receive glory from this day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for our final song.